at Eastgate Church. Let's show some love and give God praise for the ministry of Jamie Wireman as he comes to bring the word today. Glad to be out in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there. And uh, I promise today we're not going to beat you over the head. I've been placed before on Father's Day and it seems like they just hammer the dad, you know. We're not going to do that today. Uh, If you guys would, just uh, let's stand. I'm going to read the word here. I believe God has something special for us today. I believe there's miracles in the house for the family today. I believe there's breakthroughs. I believe you're in the right place at the right time around the right people to receive from God today. So we're going to read this morning Psalm 78, verses 1 through 4. This is in New Living Translation. It says, My people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying For I will speak to you in parables. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors, other translations says fathers, handed down to us. Verse 4. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will teach the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. Let's pray. Father, we thank you in advance right now in this place for what you're going to do. Holy Spirit, you're the preacher, you're the teacher, you're the God, you're the great revelator. We just thank you right now, Father, for everything that you have for us today that we're going to speak. We just ask, Lord, that these next few minutes that you would just bless each and every person in this place, that you would open their ears to hear what the Spirit is saying today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, you can be seated in the presence of the Lord. And as we get started, I just want to say what a sweet presence there is in this place today. And I kept hearing in the Spirit the word peer. And it took me back to a couple of days ago. Uh, I was just looking out back. I was studying and, and going over what God wanted to do today. And I, I looked out back and I seen my little daughter Mallory. She was standing on one of the chairs out back with a guitar with her eyes closed, just with her head raised up, just singing as loud as she could to God. And that's about as pure as you get. And that's how it felt here today. And that's just a good thing. Amen. But today, I want to speak to you on the subject of stories to tell your family. And uh, this text is written to ancient Israel, and it says, I want you to rehearse the stories of God's redemption in your family to your children. Now, I want you to see this, how powerful it is. He said, if you will do this, it, it will save the generations to come. You are to tell the praiseworthy deeds, another translation says. But you've got to understand to whom the people he was talking to here. He wasn't telling them to read the Bible because uh, Bible stories because the Bible didn't exist yet. He was saying, I want you to rehearse the stories of redemption to tell them how it worked in your family. 
You are to tell them to your children and to your family because your great-granddad told your dad and now your dad told you. Are you following me? And so now you're telling your children so that they will know and generations to come will know. See, that way you can keep track of all the power and all the redemption that moves in your family. And my wife is excellent at doing this. She loves telling stories about what God has done in her life and in our family lives. But one of the greatest ways I think that we can see a move of God in the present generation is to talk about what God has done in the previous generations in our family. One of the best stories in the Old Testament, I love this story, it's how Elijah, he's on his deathbed, and in comes Joash, this young king. And the Bible says that Elijah, you know, he's old now, and he, he, he stood up and he told this young king. Now, we need to understand that Elijah was dying. And the old prophet here, you know, I can just see him just, you know, we got to put ourselves there and, and, you know, we just can't read this and just go over it. Uh, I can just see him like gasping for air. And in walks this young king, this new generation, the king of Israel, Joash. And the Bible says that he was in a battle and he was asking Elijah, what are we to do? What, what do I need to do? And Elijah's instruction was, go take bows and arrows. It's in 2 Kings 13, if you want to go back to read it sometime. And Elijah came up behind the young men, the young king, and understand Joash, he has all this strength, and he has all the vigor, he has all the excitement, he has all the vision, and he pulls back this bow. Now, Elijah, who's weak, who's tired, who's not able to pull the back at this, uh, bow back at this time, the, but the Bible said that the old prophet puts his hand on the hand of Joash, the younger generation, and he surrounds him, and he helps guide that bow back. Now you see the young men seeing visions, and the old men dreaming dreams. you got the strength of the younger generation and you have the wisdom of the older generation. You have the fire of the younger generation but you have the integrity of the older generation. I'm talking about the older generation that really lives it. You know what I'm talking about. You see I sense in my spirit what is going on. There's coming a healing to this generational gap that is in the churches. The next move of God is not going to be the next young person or the next old person but it's going to be the combination of the young and old together. The young and the old are going to stand together and recover what the enemy has stolen from us. I sense in my spirit that the church is not going to go out with a fizzle. It's not going to, Jesus is not going to come back with someone that's not seen a demon-possessed person cast out of the church. Do you hear me? Jesus is not coming back to see someone that's not been raised out of a wheelchair. The church is not going out like that. When Jesus comes back, he's not coming back for a church that's never seen one raised from the dead. I believe what God has done in the past, he's going to do it again. I believe what, he, what God was, he still is. And I believe what he did, he's still doing. And he's going to find a generation that can take all that wisdom and all that past 
of all the anointing of the past, and he's going to find him a generation that can he can pour it all into. And then maybe, just maybe, it might be a person that, you know, is young, and they might have curtain hangers uh, hanging from their noses. But as long as they're holy, and as long as they're living right for God, what does it matter? Because God's raising up an end-time army. Do you believe that? But he said, I want you to tell your children stories of God's redemption. You can search the scriptures, and you can find five times in scriptures, five times where God commanded the Israelites of old. Can you give me a little bit more volume back there, please? Five times of the Israelites of old where he says, tell your children. He said, do certain things, and after you do them, your children will ask you, what does this mean? Kids don't do that, right? <laughs> and when, you, when they ask you, what does this mean? Dads, moms, you are to tell them, God moved through your family to get you where you are now. Now, the first time you can find is Exodus chapter 12. He said, you are to have the Passover meal throughout all generations. And when you sit down at the Passover meal once a year with your family, you see, we're so into church at church, but we need to have some church at home. You know, it's amazing how the great feasts, uh, the Bible says there, there are seven of them. Out, out of them, there was three of them that they, they were told to keep, at least three of them. But none of them were celebrated in the church. Every one of them were celebrated in people's homes with their families. And if we're not careful, we'll come to church and we'll become a bunch of religious professionals that put on our, our plastic Christianity and we have stained glass voices. Are you following me? And if we don't watch, we'll, we'll come to church and we'll talk religion and there's no God in our homes. And I feel like we need to be that, that little shoot em out woman, you know. I want to build a place in my house for the prophet to come in because I want prophecy in my home. I want worship in my home. I want the power and glory of God to be in my home. I want Bible lessons being taught in my home. We have MTV, BET, HBO, Sin to the Max in our home. We have fussing and cussing in our homes. But I'm telling you, God is about to come in our homes. And just when the devil thought that he was going to get you and your family, God said, I will raise up a standard. Just when the devil had you where he thought he was going to be, God said, I'm going to drive demons back. I'm going to drive devils back. See, no weapon formed against you will prosper. No weapon of drugs, no weapon of alcohol, no weapon of pornography, no weapon of wrong boyfriends, no weapon of homosexuality has no right in your family. Because I'm telling you today, the day that we're living in, the family is in trouble. Homes are in trouble. Marriages are in trouble. And he said, if you want a fresh move of God in your home, you've got to start talking about what God has done in your family. Come on, does anybody remember whenever you was first saved? Tell them how you shocked whenever you went down to that little Pentecostal church. Tell them how you was shocked whenever the preacher began to preach and it seemed like the place began to shake and everybody started praying in tongues and you give your life to God. Amen. See, you better be careful. You get around the bank of the river, you might fall in and you'll leave changed. 
I'm telling you, we just need to give God praise and glory. Then he said, I want to tell you something else. He said, tell them about the blood. Tell them about the Passover. Have communion in your homes and eat the meal that heals. And he said, tell them about the blood that touched your great-grandma. Tell them about the stories of how you got born again. Tell the stories of how you got saved and turned into holy rollers. Because I'm a tired of a generation that's being, uh, that's ashamed and bashful. And when you really get a taste of what they had, you get a case of the I don't cares. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't care. See, I don't care anymore what, what the world thinks. Listen, I wasted too many years trying to be in cliques, but yeah, I'm free and I'm alive. Then he said, I want you to tell something else. Over in Exodus chapter 16, he said, tell them, he said, Moses, you go get a pot. And he says, go get this little pot and take some of that uh, uh, manna that God sent down. I mean, come on, it was like Domino's pizza delivered at your door every day at the tents. I mean, every day for 40 years, this manna appeared right at their doors. But he said, I want you to take a piece of that, and I want you to put it in the pot, and I want you to take it to the church, take it to the tabernacle. And he said, I want you to put it on the altar so the next time that you're in church, when you come back and the preacher's preaching, and that pot is up there at the altar, they, the kids will say to you, Dad, what's that pot up there for? And you can tell them, you can remind, it's a, to remind us that whenever they were in the wilderness and they didn't have anything to eat God provided for them when we didn't have any clothes to wear our family was broker than the Ten Commandments but God in his sovereignty in the wilderness he fed us and he took care of us and he supplied for our family you know what he was saying he's saying I want you to teach your children that I am Jehovah Jireh he was saying tell them that I provided for your family Otherwise, whenever they walk into their nice homes today, into their own bedrooms, and when they get on their own TV and they have their iPads and iPhones and their Playstations or Xboxes or whatever's cool now, he said, I want you to tell them that it, all, it wasn't always like that. Tell them how you, there was a time in your family where you was in trouble, where you didn't have a job and you got the pink slip and you got sent home and you didn't know how you was going to pay that electric bill. Tell them that there was a time that you didn't know how you was going to have Christmas, but somehow, just in the nick of time, God showed up, Jehovah Jireh showed up, and he provided for you. Come on, has God provided for anybody in this house? We need to give him praise. Then over in Numbers chapter 16, he said, I want you to tell them, tell your children how Korah rose up and the earth swallowed them up because they were in rebellion. See, we think of rebellion and we think of rebellious people and we think of people out in the world. But I can tell you, after being in church more than 30 years in ministry and, and a lot of that as being a pastor, rebellion is right in the church. There seems to be more rebellious people in the church than they are out in the world. We don't understand submission. We don't understand submitting authority. We don't understand this stuff. And I'm going to tell you, God looks at your spirit. And if your spirit isn't right, I don't care whether you're preaching or whether you're singing or whether you're in the crowd. If your spirit not right, God's going to put a check on that because he looks at our spirits. 
You see, whenever I die, I don't care if my children say I was a good pastor or a great preacher. I don't care if they say he did this or if he did that. I hope that they can remember the times that we had in church and in our house together with God. I remember the times I had with my family. My great-grandma and grandpa, they were evangelists. I'm telling you, they went and preached somewhere every night of the week. And I remember we would go up to their house every Sunday after church. We would go up there, and it took about a 45-minute drive from what we called town, which had like one red light. But, I mean, you went from town to like darkness. A little dirt road five miles off what they call the main road, which is a little two-lane road. And I remember that Sunday after that, we'd go and we'd have family meals together. And I remember one day they took me out to the creek, which was called Buck Creek, and they baptized me right in that little creek. See, you better have some stories to tell your family. So my question for you today is, when's the last time that you had a burden for God moving in your family? When's the last time that you had a vision of your children doing something great and mighty for the Lord? See, the, the thing that I yearn for most in this church and the thing that I yearn for most in this community is, in this whole region, is for our families to be saved. When we capture, we got to, I'm telling you, we got to get back to, you know, the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacobs, and we got to make it the God of the Wormans, the Browns, and the, the Pates. We've got to tell the stories of redemption, tell the stories until the, the, the spark, and it sparks that hunger in your children and in your family's lives, a hunger that sparks the supernatural power of God to move in our homes. We've got to keep praying and keep telling the stories until the anointing falls in our family. Everything I have in my life has come because of the anointing of God. And if we lose that, we have nothing. The Bible says it's brass, it's sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. See, I want a fresh fire, not only in my soul, but in my family. How about you? God needs to move in our families. See, we're so busy giving our kids what we didn't have. If we're not careful, we won't give them what we do have, which is the godly anointing. Yeah. I want this generation to know God. Amen. But someone says, well, we need, Jamie, we need better governments, especially with the administration we got now. Maybe so, but the government don't raise your children. You do. Yeah. You say, we need a better school system. I totally agree. But the school system doesn't raise your, your children. You do. Amen. You are the pastor of your home. Yes. Yes. As a parent, you're called to govern your own home. You're called to educate in the ways of the Lord. Amen. So we need to make sure that we're giving our kids a deep spiritual root started as early as possible. Now, will they rebel? Possibly. Probably. I mean, the prodigal son, he had a great home, a good home, and he still rebelled. He still left, but well, guess what? He come back. Yes. Why? Because he had memories, and he had values to return, to the, to return. and he had a godly father. Luke 15, verse 20, it said his father was filled with love, and run to his son whenever he come back. He wasn't sitting there saying, uh-huh, I knew he was going to fail. See, when you show unending love that never wavers in its affection, regardless of the season that that person may be in, it makes it easier for them to receive Father God. 
So we need to make sure that everything we do, we do in love. Now, look at Joshua chapter 23, verse 3, NIV. I love this scripture. It says, you yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations. For your sake, it was the Lord your God who fought for you. Amen. Catch that last part. Now, he went on to instruct them in, in these verses to tell their children. And if you read, they didn't tell their children. Therefore, their sons and their daughters, it said, ended up marrying outsiders and adopted the sinful lifestyles that those outsiders had. But I really want to focus on the last part of that. It said, it was the Lord your God who fought for you. I love verses like this one in, over in Nehemiah 4.20 because it tells us whenever we fight, God will fight for us. Dads, fathers, parents, we've got to fight for our homes. How many of you believe that your home, your family is worth fighting for? Because I'm telling you, Satan is on the rampage right now. And if he can't destroy the church, which he knows he can't, then he will just try to destroy the family. You just see, before there was a nation, there was a family. Before there was a government, there was a family. The oldest institution, that the only thing older is God, is the family. And so the enemy knows if he can't destroy the church, then he will go after the family. And through the family, he can weaken the church if he can take the family apart. The home is the number one priority of the devil, so you better make sure your home is your number one priority. Men, do you know what the greatest gift you can give your children? Somebody says a million dollar inheritance. <laughs> the greatest thing you can give them is love. Men, the Bible says love your wife as Christ loves your church. See, we live in an uncommitted society, and the key to happiness is costly commitment. Commitment to your kids, commitment to your wife, commitment to your job, and most of all, commitment to your God. It means pulling your, your tired body out of bed 52 weeks out of the year. It means uh, taking that two weeks vacation that you get and choosing a vacation that's pleasing to your wife and kids, not just to you. It's spending your money wisely instead of just blowing it on stuff that you'd like to blow it on and indulging. It's taking your kids bike riding whenever you'd rather sit and watch the game. It's giving a portion to God's work whenever you're already trying to figure out how you're going to pay the bills. That's a real godly man's life. Amen. Now, over in Genesis chapter 6, it talks about Noah. I love the story of Noah. And he builds this ark of salvation for his family. But 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, chapter, 1 Peter chapter 3 tells us, it gives us better insight. It says, he was the eighth one on. Listen to what I'm saying. How many people was in his family? Eight. Noah just didn't open up the door to the boat and say, you all come in. No, he got off the boat. He has responsibilities. I believe he probably had a checklist. There's two goats. There's two sheep. There's two ducks. There's two cows. There's two mosquitoes. I wish he would have left them out. He didn't get on and say, I hope you all make it on. No, he made sure they got on the boat. Amen. See, Noah was faithful in a, in a failing culture. 
Noah was a risk taker. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a risk taker. What Noah built saved his family. And what you're building in your life right now is for your family. Do you follow me? Dads, make sure your family is getting on the boat. I'm not going to leave it up to some preacher. I'm not going to leave it up to some pastor. I'm not going to leave it up to some youth leader. I'm not going to leave it up to some psychologist or some school teacher to get them on the boat. I'm going to get them on the boat, and then I'm going to get on the boat myself. We've got to fight for our family. Understand the battle is not flesh and blood, but the battle is spiritual forces. We had better fight for our homes. We had better fight for our kids. Now, there's two families I won't mention this morning. And the first family was Ahab and Jezebel. They were reckless. They lived a horrible lifestyle. They were godless in their daily life. Did you know that you can be godless and still come to church? Do you know you can be a member of church and still be godless? Do you know you can be a leader in the church and still be godless? Ahab and Jezebel was so wicked in 1 Kings chapter 10, if you want to go back and read it sometime, it tells us that they had 70 children and grandchildren. And these 70, if you watch on the news, you'll see these terrorists over in Iraq and places like that where they kidnap somebody and they chop off the heads of the people they kidnapped. I want you and we need to understand that that represents the spirit that is coming against your home right now. Because that didn't start just a few years ago. That started over in 1 Kings. The Syrians invaded, and now Ahab, this backslidden king of Israel, the Bible says that they cut off all the heads of the 70 kids right in front of them. But on the other hand, there was this other man. His name was Obed-Edom. He had 70 also. Kids and grandkids. And let me tell you about Obadiah. The Bible says that whenever they were looking for a place of the ark, they chose his home. Now, I want you to understand this real quick about the ark. I wish we had a lot of time to go into it because the ark is a very important thing. But it was this box, I call it a God box, where the presence of God was there. The ark of the covenant represented three things, and we sung about one of them this morning. The first thing it represented to them was victory. When Israel would go into battle, before they would ever go into battle, they would send out the priest ahead with that God box. And I can just see the enemy probably laughing, saying, look at that priest with that box. What in the world? Who do they think they are? And it wasn't very long before they were humbled and defeated because they realized they weren't fighting against man, but they were fighting against God. See, whenever you're in right standing with God, he will go before you and he will fight your battles. How many knows God's undefeated? Second thing is guidance. When they, whenever they needed guidance, whenever they needed direction, when God would speak to them, they would go to the tabernacle where the ark rested. And they discovered what you will discover, that whenever you seek God's guidance and you listen to him, he will not steer you wrong. The Bible says he is the Lord your God who directs you in the ways that you should go. And then the third thing is prosperity. Prosperity simply means having enough to do God's will. And he'll give you just that. See, the ark rested for three months span in the house of Obed-Edom, and he was blessed and he was prosperous. See, David took that 
to his house there because David got scared. They had built this thing to transport the ark, and the guy touched it, and he killed him. David got a little scared and said, I don't really want to take this back. If you read before this, he said, I don't really want to take this back to the tabernacle right now. Let's take it over here to this guy's house. And then later on, you can read, they went to David and said, this man's being so blessed right now in his house. David said, let's go over and get that. <laughs> How many of you could use a little bit more victory, guidance, and prosperity? Spend time in God's presence and then carry that with you wherever you go. So then in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see that Obadim here, he gets this God box. They brought it in. The, the, they brought this ark into his house, and it stayed there for three months. And I mean that for three months, this, the, the, the God box was in his living room. And it so impacted his family for those three months that not just that he had God not just in church, but he had God in his home. Come on. That something happened to his kids. See, we often preach about how David got the Ark of the Covenant and he danced, you know, took it back to Jerusalem and he danced before the Lord. But if you read in that, in that train of people there, there was Obed-Edom and his whole family. You know what he was saying? Where the Ark moves, I move. Where the presence of God goes, I go. Where he goes, my family goes. And if you studied out, those, those 70 kids served in the temple. Now I want you to see this contrast. So you have these wicked parents, Ahab and Jezebel, and their kids get their heads cut off. And you have this godly dad, Obed-Edom, that, that had the presence of God in his home. And they serve in the church all their life. See, it so impacted their family that uh, their whole entire life they served God. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 Verse 13 and 14. Originally, I was going to preach on verse 13 for the last month and a half. I thought that's what God wanted. A few days ago, God said, that's not what I want. <laughs> but we're going to look at verse, highlight verse 14 here. But I want to read 13 too because it's powerful. It says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like a man. I was going to preach on man up. But it says, act like a man. Be strong. Then it says, verse 14, let all that you do be done in love. That's something God is working on me, and I feel like I am failing miserably, but I am trying. See, every reaction that we have, I'm to respond, maybe strongly, but always do it in love. Every stand that I take for my family that's biblically based, I, I can do it, but I got to do it in love. Every conversation I have with somebody, with a person or somebody that's in my family member, I can stand for what the Bible says to, to believe and I can be watchful and I can act like a man, but I have to do it in love. I love what the message Bible says in verse 14. It says, love without stopping. Love without stopping keep loving keep praying keep believing do not give up on that person that's in a lifestyle sin do the best you can and it won't be easy it won't feel normal but you just keep loving yeah. keep fighting fight in love we got to fight for our children 
we got to fight for our families. Because the Bible says when we fight, that God will fight for your family. You fight for your family in love because God is love. And I'll close with a story. There's this man. His normal path would be he would make a trek through a field to a bar every day. One day snow was on the ground. And as he, as he made his way to the bar, he happened to look back and he noticed that this little boy, his little boy, had followed him across the field by placing his little feet in his dad's footsteps. And the little boy looked up and said rather innocently, you know, kids can be so innocent, and said, Daddy, I'm following in your footsteps. And with that, the man convicted with tears in the eyes, picked up his little boy and ran back to the house. And he fell down on his knees and prayed and said, God, never let my footsteps lead him anywhere you wouldn't want him to go. Yeah. So my question today is, where are your footsteps leading your family? Where is your footsteps leading your children? Is there church in your house? Do you have a godly story to tell your children? Are you fighting for your family with love? I encourage you this morning, don't give up the fight. Continue to work. Rebuild your lives in a godly fashion. Turn to God. Let him fight your battles. But whatever you do, don't give up. Don't quit. Romans 5.20 says that where grace abounds, where sin abounds, grace so does much more abound. Joshua 24.15 says, as for me and my family, we'll serve the Lord. Amen. What a smart man Joshua was. Listen, I may not have all the answers for the things that's going on in my life right now, but God does. And there's not one thing that's going on in your life right now that took God by surprise. Do you understand me? Where you're at right now in your life, it didn't take God by surprise. He knew you'd be in this place right now, in the situation that you're in. So what we have to do is have faith, have confidence, have assurance in that we can stand on God's Word and we can see that family member changed. So this morning, if you would stand with me, we're going to do what I always call a all-in-one. We'll give you some things. If you need prayer, you can come up here for. First of all, if you're in this place and you don't have a relationship with Father God, I want to give you that opportunity. When we pray here in a minute, you can come up and say, hey, I don't have a relationship with him, but I sure do. I want my sins covered by the blood. He went to Calvary. Stretched out his body on the cross and died for you. And then three days and three nights later, he rose again so we might have life and have it more abundantly. So if you're here today, you're not saved, you're not born again, you don't have a relationship with God, here in a minute you can come up and say, hey, that was me.
I need to have a relationship with him. Maybe you're here, maybe you served him. And maybe you've walked away. Maybe you've turned your back. The good thing is, he's a good, good father. And he loves his children. And he'll never turn his back on you. And the whole time he's been waiting there with open arms saying, here I am. I love you. And it don't matter what you've done. It don't matter where you've been. I don't care what you've done this morning. He's there for you. And if that's you, you can come up today and say, hey, I want to rededicate my life. I always told people, when you mess up and you know you messed up, you just go back to the place where you was right and start all over again. Maybe you've made wrong decisions here today and you know you look back and say, man, I wish I hadn't done that and I did this and I did that or I was supposed to have done this. And Let's go back and start over. God don't say, oh, you messed up. It's over for you. Sucks to be you. No. Aren't you glad? Then if you're here and you need healing in your body, the healer is in the house. I was sharing with the pastor earlier, preached in Florida a couple of weeks back, and I was preaching on Jesus, that second touch when he spit on the man's eyes and he healed the blind man. And right when church was starting, I looked over and enrolled. They, they brought this blind lady in. Black sunglasses, cane and all. She lost her sight when she was a teen. She was probably in her 60s. And I'll be honest. I felt a little anxious. I felt a little anxiety. It's like, oh my goodness, I'm preaching on healing a blind person. Here's this blind person. And Holy Spirit's like, what are you worried about? You don't do nothing anyway. I was like, you're right. Honestly, I preached the whole time, forgot about her. Preached the whole time. Then at the end, we lay hands on her, and she, she could see nothing. And she started saying, are they a light up there? We keep on praying. Are they two lots up there? Wait, wait, there's three lots up there? I asked the pastor, I was like, does she come here? And he's like, I've never seen that lady before in my life. One of the regular members that comes every Sunday brought her. You, and that's, you never know what it means for you to ask a person to come to church. They might not have Jesus in their life and they may die tomorrow in a car wreck. But if you invite them to church, it could change the whole course of history. So if you're here and you're sick, maybe it's something mentally. Jesus can touch you and you can leave changed and then last but certainly not least if you are here and you have not been baptized in the Holy Ghost if you've never spoken tongues somebody says now hold on it doesn't say that being baptized in the Holy Ghost is the evidence of speaking in tongues yeah but you know every time it mentions the Holy Ghost they're speaking in tongues going on me being a good old boy from East Kentucky, even I can put that together. So if you're here and you need anything from God, and let me just say this, this is one, uh, pastor and counseling people for so long, you find the tricks of the enemy, 
and he does the same thing over and over again. If you're here and you've got a headache, and all those people here today that's got headaches, don't let the enemy say, oh, you've got a headache. There's somebody up there with cancer. They got cancer, and you're going to go up there for a headache, or your arm hurts a little bit, or you got arthritis. Come on. If it's important to you, it's important to God. When God took those stripes on his, uh, on his back for your healing, he did it for the headache, he did it for the cancer, he did it for every one of you. So if it's important to you, it's important to God. So as they begin to sing and play, if there's anybody in this place, and if not, I'm getting ready to go to Tennessee. <laughs> Enjoy three or four days in the Smokies. But I sure would love to get to pray for some people and see God do miracles in your life. So if anybody's here and you have anything, I'm going to come down and stand in front. If you have anything, come down and we'll pray with you.